Let us begin. This will just keep recording, right? Yeah. Cool. Cheers. <laughs> so annoying, man. No, you got it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so welcome to our third uh, Bible study. Let's. So we're going to be talking about discipline in marriage. Last week, we talked about purity. And a lot of that had to do with sexual morality. And then prior to that, we talked about just in, as an introduction to what Christian discipline christian disciplines are right so today we're talking about marriage and you might think to yourself marriage why is marriage discipline but we'll talk about that uh let's pray and we'll start um yeah god we thank you so much for this time we can gather to study um the marital institution um as you have divinely ordained and so father we ask for wisdom in this area and understanding pray all this in your name okay if you could turn with me to ephesians chapter 5 it's the great classic passage on marriage, slightly controversial to some, um, very informative, very direct. And I want to talk about some of the components of that and then the disciplines that are involved with marriage because marriage itself, of course, is we find very early on in scripture. Um, it's the Adam, Eve, right? Adam, not good to be, for him to be alone. Eve, after sin. They are to leave the male and female, to leave their homes, become one flesh. It's repeated throughout scripture. Um, marriage is clearly part of the divine uh, creative order. And so it's important for us to ground this biblically and understand it from a biblical perspective. But what comes with marriage is, of course, the importance of understanding it as a discipline as well, right? Marriage is, involves uh, an area, many areas and facets of uh, discipline. And in order to have a long, uh, fruitful marriage with your partner, right? So I don't think any of us are per se married. Like the one married couple are not here, but um, married to Christ. <laughs> okay, that's great. Uh, so let's talk about it. So Ephesians five, and uh, of course we are looking at. Uh, if you scroll down to the last few verses of that passage, verses 22 and onward, uh, maybe someone could read for us mm. verse 22 to, let's say, 20. Actually, let's just let's just read it to the end. Uh, let's read to 31. It's 22 to 31. Whoever's got it, just go ahead and read. Other than Mikey, because this guy always tries to read. You need to give it to him. He needs to read He it. wants to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a different volunteer for today, Ephesians 5, 22 to 31. Please read for us. Wives, submit you to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself, its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. <clears throat> because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Amen. Thank you. So, this one of marriage. Um, what do we think about this passage and its descriptive uh, description of marriage? Um, and you can just be honest about it, right? If you have some discomforts, that's fine. Um, what is your understanding of marriage? Like, um, like what, what are sort of our sort of general thoughts of on the, on the topic of marriage, the role of the husband, the role of the wife, and sort of like the components involved with that. So just immediate reactions to what we've just read. 
because obviously without um, study, it could, on a surface level, especially in today's context, it's very easy to misread the text, right? Any thoughts? All right, with the thinking faces, yep. We are to serve one another. Okay, so there is a component where there is serving of one another, for sure. Marriage is fundamentally more about Christ than the actual individuals getting married. Okay, so marriage is about Christ more than it is about the individuals. Is emphasis on like sanctification? Like, yes. The church gave himself for her to make her holy. Yes. So, like, marriage is for holiness too? Yes. And I don't think that is something that is typically understood in the marital union, right? The Christian marriage incorporates this idea of becoming one flesh to, to grow in, in, in sanctification. And we talked about sanctification right, today, right? It's the pursuit of holiness, becoming more and more molded into the image of God, right? Um, so what does that say about finding a partner? Find someone who will. Make you holier. <laughs> yeah, right? So if you find in your relationship that you're unholier, probably an in indication that it's not a healthy Christian marriage or union, right? Um, anyone else? Any other thoughts on marriage? Or any questions about some of the components of the text that we read in Ephesians 5? seems to me that even though husbands are like the leaders and guide the household mm -hmm. um, he needs to really cherish and uh, as because loving his wife his family is the same thing as loving himself so mm -hmm. then it's not any abuse in power or any yes. and also for the wife um, to serve her the, the husband and also the family um, is not lowering her in any sense. It's just that's the way she can give to the to the family, as if though it's to the church as well. Yeah, um, we talked about this last last week when we talked about purity. But we are made in the image of God, right? And a part of that we said is a critical part of that is that we're made in the image of the Trinitarian God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So um, we talked about community and start relationship and all these things. When God made man, he said it's not good for this man to be alone. He made Eve, or a woman, gave to him, and they became essentially one, right? Marital, first marital union we see in scripture. Um, this idea of, so in the text, you have a component of independent individual roles of husband and wife, but you also have a great emphasis, as Cindy pointed out, on this Christian premise and understanding of marriage that it's, a one flesh thing, right? That the, it's a co, uh, it's a co thing. It's not like just you do your thing, you do your thing, and maybe it'll lead to this one thing, right? But it's it's a it's a mutual ecosystem together, right? Um, the idea of roles is uncomfortable for many because uh, with if you've done any sort of extensive study on feminism and the movement of feminism, not to like trash it or say it's wrong, but uh, first wave, second wave feminism really was focused on uh, the idea of bringing equal legal rights to women. And that's correct, right? I don't think any Christian should ever argue against that, right? The right to vote, the right to hold occupation, the right to have uh, pay, right? The right to educate um, and other things like that, right? That is obviously like something that they should have, like women should have and men should have, right? To both genders. But um, as feminism advanced, right? Uh, if we get into third, fourth wave feminism, if you do extensive studies on those things, um, there's a slight deviation from that initial, the heart of the initial movement, right? And so nowadays, we have an uncomfortable discussion between the church and feminists in regards to an inconsistency in the values of feminism and the values of the Christian faith. And this idea of roles is really problematic to people who hold to that value system because 
by saying males are the head of the household, right? That immediately sounds like a hierarchical system, right? It immediately sounds like, because in every other like social system, that's what it is. You have a principal, you have a prime minister, you have a president, you have a manager. It just seems like they have power, they hold word, they hold authority, and you do their bidding, right? And you are at their whatever, mercy. But that's just not the case. The purpose of marital union, purpose of, of marriage is not to create a hierarchical system, but to create roles that benefit both in the end, not for the happiness of the individuals, but for the glory of God, right? So I always bring this back, bring it back to this because it's, it's a critical component of our, at least our church's understanding of theology, that we understand scripture from Genesis to Revelation. How many of you, how many of you heard this before? The Bible is about how God saved you. Right, how God saves humanity. It's a redemptive story. How many times have you heard that? Right? They probably have heard that a lot, right? That's a part of the story of the greater story, right? The main theme of scripture. Can anyone guess? How God brings glory to himself. Right? So Calvin famously says, the universe is a theater of God's glory. Right? And the Bible is about God's glory. And redemptive history and Christ dying on the cross for our sins and saving us is a part of that bringing to glory, bringing glory to God, sorry, I should say, right? So marriage is a part of that as well, right? Now, when we look at the idea of roles, we're immediately uncomfortable because of all of these different cultural values that are mixed, especially here in Canada. Um, but remember how we said we're made in the image of God? The image of God contains roles, right? In the Trinity itself, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, Right? Um, we have a, a, a union that is, that is beautiful, right, and perfect, but you have roles, right? Like, who died on the cross? Would any of you say the Father died on the cross? Right, that would be an incorrect statement, theologically, right? But it is the Son who died on the cross, right? But it's not to say that that's, you know, that's an inferior role to the Spirit's work or the Father's work, right? Um, these are not inferior things, right? And then people will say, like, oh, in Genesis, when it says the woman is the helper to man, like, that's so wrong. Like, that's, I can't believe, like, the Bible would say that. That's sexist, right? Okay, well, Jesus himself describes the Holy Spirit as a helper, a counselor, one who will come. But would we ever say theologically that the Spirit is inferior to the Son because he's a helper, per se? Or because his role differs from the role of the Son? Absolutely not. Scripture is clear. Role, it does not create a hierarchical system within uh, the perfect divine will and the design that he has, right? Um, and the, in the goodness of his creative order, um, there is rules. There are rules, I should say, but it doesn't create hierarchy, right? So to be the head is the role of the male, the husband, but it's not to say that that is a superior role, which, you know, and then the woman is in the inferior role of being subject to that, right? Um, there is a wonderful role for women, and a wonderful role for men. And it's just the roles that we play, right? So there's creative order, right? Um, but it, it is an uncomfortable idea for many of us who have grown up, like, just learning that, like, everything needs to be the same, right? Like, every component of everything, everyone needs to be treated, uh, I don't say treated, because that's not even the right word. Everybody needs to have the exact same value, intrinsic value and opportunity, and those are defined by what we what we're able to do what we're what role we're given right um and that's just uh an incorrect that's a, a that's an unbiblical concept right in creation um so it is very interesting when we read ephesians that many would find it a little bit i don't say disturbing but a little bit challenging to get beyond that right um and it just makes it worse that most of the people teaching this stuff are males so then from a female perspective, it looks like, okay, well, now we're just getting fueled all these ideas that, you know, are, you know, so obviously it becomes very, very, very difficult to get that message across sometimes. Um, any other thoughts in Ephesians 5 before we get into the actual disciplines? So we touched on a lot of great things, sanctification, idea of roles, etc. Any questions about the roles themselves? Um, I have one. Yes. So... Husband and wife working as a team, having different roles, right? And what happens if, say, one of the pers people is 
having a harder time with whatever reason. So of course, as a team that is is one, right? The the other person will jump in and help out. Of course. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not so much like oh, I worked all day, so you have to stay in the kitchen. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's again, it's co mutual, um, and it's like it's not like oh, that this is my role, this is your role, and I have no. I have no right to partake in your role, right? It's responsibility is really what we're talking about, right? Um, so there was a role of responsibility to be the head, to be um, a father and a husband, and then to be the mother and the wife, right? Um, and so there is a difference in the responsibility. And that, that is what we define as the role. But that's not to say that, you know, there is assistance on both sides in fulfilling that role, right? Uh, so it's really important. But... The descriptors are really important because if, if the Bible had just left it as, okay, husbands, you know, or wives, uh, submit to your husbands. Or sub, in older scriptures, it might say, be subject to your husbands, right? And then, you know, husbands, love your wives. If it was just left like that, it could be very vague and for us, like, very difficult to conceptualize that, right? But we're given an example to compare that to. What is that example? As? Yeah, as Christ loves the church, husbands, husbands to love wife, what did Christ do for the church? Famously, he gave his life for the church. That's what the husband is asked to do, right? That's why, traditionally, when you go to a wedding, till death do us part, right? In sickness or in health, right? And then for the wife, the example is, as the Ephesians text, be subject to your husbands as is that just the opposite? The church to Yes, right? The church to Christ. Right? And that is that is a a grand example, right? And why this example is so uh, why this example is so powerful is because at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, exactly what we see. The union of Christ to the church, right? The church is the bride to the bridegroom that is Christ. And the Bible ends, begins with the marital union between Adam and Eve, ends with the second Adam and the church, right? Um, and so it's, it's this, this, this wonderful, wonderful harmonious image. And so Christ and the church as a relationship is the example of how we are to live out and pursue marriage in our own life, right? As uh, In relation to that. I have a question. Yes. So I understand like everything you just said. So Great. are these commands like proprietary <laughs> to... So like I understand what it says about what guys... What, sorry, what the men should do and what the women should do. Okay. But is there a scenario where like I have to submit to the, to the wife or a scenario where the, woman, the wife has to lay down her life for her husband? Like I said, it's co-mutual, it's co-relational. It doesn't mean like, okay, the man is the only one that is to die for the uh, wife, and the wife never should die for the husband. That's not what we're saying. Also, we're not saying the reversal of like, there are um, times where, you know, the husband should subject themselves to the will of the wife as well. But that's, that's part of leadership as well, right? Understanding in what moments and times um, you are to be able to allow like, uh, allow like a, not a reversal of role, um, but a flexibility in that area, right? Um, so like, for example, like what um, I have a lot of like, in my age group, uh, friends, women who are married, and they say, well, when I read this verse, I'm like, but my husband's such a like lazy butthole or like whatever, like, and he does this, and he's not a great example of this. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, why don't I just subject this guy? This guy's like, just he's so waste. I'm like, well, first of all, you married him. Second of all, like. Um, when the Bible teaches you to subject, like, when the Bible says, for example, um, in the Ten Commandments, right, honor your father and thy mother, right? That's a commandment. That's the standing principle, right? But it assumes something as well. That your parents are not asking you to do something or teaching you or leading in a way that is unbiblical or ungodly. Making you sin, yeah. Yeah, so, if, so I had an atheist one time who was like, okay, what if your parents told like, you to kill, told you kill Mikey, right? Like, would you do it? yes no i'm just kidding um no you would be like no that's a sin like why would i why would i do that right so if your husband is leading you in an ungodly way right and is and is asking you to do something that is causing you to sin then you have no reasons to subject yourself to him 
that breaks the covenant of marriage that breaks the purpose of marriage itself right um and so there are obviously areas like of black and white yeah because yeah. we live in a fallen world mm-hmm. we need to understand that there are, there are those things in a perfectly sanctified world where we are fully holy then obviously we're not gonna have to deal with those issues so what about when like when jesus um asks us to submit to like the current government or slaves to obey masters okay so like there's things that i don't agree with um like our governments okay right? um like how they treat certain demographics or whatever so is like the correctness of someone's leadership a prerequisite for submission because it sounds like in certain areas like you kind of are supposed to submit to them like even when they're because your husband can't be right every time good question so it doesn't mean you don't submit to him when he's like kind of it's a valid question but you're comparing apples and oranges the reason why is because marital union between two believers is one thing compared to a secular government that you're not married to you're not in union with your government you're under the authority of your government through the providence and will of the father or by the providence and will of god right that he has placed leadership over you governmentally, but you're not in marital union with the government. It's a completely different relationship dynamic. If that makes sense. I think the other way to word his question is uh, some decisions, it's objectively right, and some decisions are subjectively right. Sure. So when two people have things that they disagree on, say... I don't know, a random example. And then the husband thinks this is the best for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Whereas the wife think, well, that might not be so. And maybe it's ungodly or maybe whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The two people have, both have in- the intention of following God. Um, but in this scenario, would the wife maybe question whether or yeah. not she should subject to the husband when there's a difference in opinion? It depends on what the matter and issue would be. Um, but again, the scriptural teaching is to be uh, allowed it to, to submit or to subject yourself to the leadership of your husband is to essentially say, is not to say, sorry, not to say everything you say is I'm just going to follow blindly, right? It's to say I will hold you accountable to the leadership you will lead me by. Like I will follow you, right? but I will hold you accountable to these things through my active submission to those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so unless the decision is causing, again, sin, unholiness, deviation from these things, you can always talk to people about what your husband's decision could, could be and see if your opinion is actually valid, right, in this matter. And you can always bring it to the council, right? And th- those are matters that you don't need to... Uh, just blindly be like, okay, everything this man says must be true, must be right, so I should always follow him this way. Um, and rarely have I re- even like encountered a case. I think the only case I can think of is when uh, I ha- I know a couple like one time like the male wanted to go on like some like just got called one day, according to him, like got called into ministry and quit his job and decided to enter ministry, right? And this is something as a woman like she wasn't signing up for when she got married to this guy right so all of a sudden their lifestyle completely flipped and changed Mm. and her question was do i trust that this man was truly called by the lord and like doing these things or is it like they're just blindly following in in submission right but i think the nuance like any relationship it's not just that black and white it's like oh i'm supposed to subject myself so i'm just gonna follow but i think that should be your leading heart that's the leading principle the desire to follow but it should come with a sharpening, a refining, and a, and a, and a holding accountable of, or two, right? It should just be like, okay, fine, like, I'll follow you, <laughs> right? Like, I think there needs to be open communication and constant refinement of those things, right? But after, like, communication, if they're still, like, stubborn about it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if there's disagreement I, constantly, I think ultimately the role and responsibility holds to the husband to lead the family, Right. And again, that is why, that is why, hmm. before getting married, you gotta, it like, is important to find that out, you yeah. consider all of these variables with the partner you're marrying, hmm. instead of just being madly in love and being blind to all of their faults. Like, do you trust their... Yeah, yeah. of course, right? Um, 
Because ultimately, if you know you're marrying a man or a woman of God, I think that kind of communication is much easier. Right? It's not as difficult to have that kind of talk. And I guess there's sacrifices from both ends. Just like how church sacrifice makes yes. sacrifices to Jesus and Jesus yes. makes sacrifices to the church. Well, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice and in return, we can never pay that debt back. Right? But we die unto sin and we fall and go into in, in righteousness for him or in light of his death for us. And that leads a perfect segue into the disciplines because the first principle we see and the first discipline we see in our text today is sacrificial love. The component of marriage is sacrifice, right? Not many people view it this way, but if I ever like officiate a wedding for any of you here, one of the things I will say at your marriage is this, as much as it is a marriage and a union and the beginning of a new journey and life and all these things, it is also death. It is death of your singleness. It is death of you living for yourself only. It is death to your um, selfishness. It is death to all of these things. And so part of it is sacrifice. Love is sacrificial in scripture. It is most powerfully demonstrated on the cross through Christ's sacrifice for us. It is suffering. Your marriage is suffering. Why? Because you have two sinners who are joining together to become one flesh. And there's a suffering in that. But it's a joyous suffering. Um, how many of you pictured it, uh, picture this? Like Jesus dying on the cross and he's experiencing immense suffering. Right? Would anyone deny that? Like he is experiencing pain, suffering on the cross. But how many of you would also say this? That he is not experiencing joy. I don't mean happiness. I think he was experiencing pain, forsakenness. He was obviously in torment, agony. All of these things, right? But was there an eye towards glory? An understanding of what this suffering will produce. Right? An ultimate, eternal understanding. Right? And so, if your marriage is built on that, I think there is, or has an understanding of that, that discipline of being willing to suffer for the sake of this other is something that will continue uh, to build and refine your relationship with your partner. Um, there's intercession needed, right? Intercession meaning um, interceding on behalf of one another, praying for one another, and continuing to give yourself up for the other. Um, it is also sanctifying, as Cindy pointed out, and, or someone pointed out. Um, it is an act of marriage, a method in which God helps two individuals to sanctify, to become holy, right? Um, this is why every area of your marriage needs to be centered on bringing glory to God, right? It needs to be focused on how do we uh, get holier, both of us, right? Another area of discipline, self-love. Here's an interesting verse or interesting part of that passage, right? It says, no man has not, never not loved himself, right? Uh, there's this really famous um, uh, anecdote or story uh, in the Middle East about this man who didn't love anyone. And then he looked into uh, a, um, a puddle of water, saw himself and fell in love. <laughs> and then he basically like, the story is like pretty long, so I'll just sum it up. But basically he ends up dying loving himself and he's just a waste all his whole life. And people like use that example of like, you know, self-love is fleeting and all that stuff, right? Um, but here's the interesting thing. The self-love that this uh, particular verse is talking about is the idea that you become one flesh. So you must begin to treat your partner in marriage like that of yourself, right? In Korea, we always say the arm folds in, right? And it folds out. So we're obviously selfish people. Uh, <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> <Hold it up. laughs> uh, <laughs> but that is an act of, uh, that's a discipline. We need to learn to love our partner as we love ourselves, right? We need to yield that kind of love to our partner. Um, and how do we do these things, right? Obviously, we're just going to quickly go through them. Commitment. That's obvious. Deference. Anyone know what deference means? Means like kind of uh, like learning to love and value the interests and things of that person yourself, right? Um, time, romance, obviously, uh, obvious things that are part of love. So the discipline of marriage is built 
on the example of Christ. As the Christ loves the church, church loves Christ, subjects itself to Christ, we see in that the example and the principles we are to uphold in marital union in the church. Now, the final point is people will say, wow, I mean, what is marriage today? Right? Um, is it, I mean, various questions in the church, right? I'm going to, like, gear you towards this. Don't be focused on what non-Christians are doing with marriage or how they're trying to define what marriage is. In fact, I don't even know why non-Christians want to get married because if I was non-Christian, it wouldn't really be that important other than as, like, a ritual, right? Um, or as a traditional thing or as, like, something that... Like, what, what does society truly value in marriage? Um, this idea of exclusivity or, you know, like having a sense of being loved. Um, those are things that you can achieve in other ways, I think. Um, but why does the, for example, LGBTQ community so much, des- like, so desire to be included in the definition of marriage, right? Um, they could have always just lived together. And then I asked my gay friend this one time. I was like, why do you guys want to be, like, have marriage what can't you just have your own term like just have like some other term like call it like gay union and that's your term like you are gay unionized right like when you, when you like it's the same thing though you'll have the same benefits you live together everything will acknowledge you as a loving romantic couple why do you need to adopt the term marriage which is a biblical christian term right that's like someone trying to take baptism away from us It's like, oh, we're going to change baptism and define it as this. It's weird, right? It's a practice and ritual of the church. It's it's supposed to be authorized by the church. Why why are people so like consumed with the idea of marriage? They're not Christian, and it's it's very fascinating to me, right? Because it's a it's clearly a biblical practice, Um, and we live in a non-biblical world. Why do people desire it so much? Because I think it's intrinsic in human beings to want love and to value this concept of marriage because it sort of cements that love, if you will, between two partners, right? Um, So I think that's really important for us to think about, but don't think about so much um, as a Christian person, like what everyone else is saying or thinking about marriage. Read the scriptures and figure out what does the Bible say about marriage? What is the purpose behind it? What am I supposed to consider in these things? And that'll help you as a guiding sort of framework in finding and choosing a partner for your rest of your life. Is my opinion. Any others? Um, this one. Thoughts, comments, please. On there. to be the only one talking because I feel like I'm stealing the show but steal away but <laughs> what you mentioned earlier um, I think a lot of uh, gay people are also religious they consider themselves right. religious so, and also I think for uh, marriage for a lot of people that isn't strongly religious mm-hmm. is to just be recognized as a unit right, right. And which I'm okay with, right? Like legally, as government Ontario wants to recognize the union of these two people, regardless of who they are, um, I, for one, wouldn't vote against that. Like it's a secular government, it's a secular world, it's fine, right? But it's when you want to claim the term that is a religious term. So like this would be like weird to me if, again, like uh, a non-Christian person would want to be baptized can you imagine that and you say to yourself well like that doesn't make sense like why why would anyone who's non-christian want to be baptized the whole point of baptism is a witness before god and people to you know profess your faith right and that's weird that anyone would want that right but what if the government of ontario was like okay we're going to change the definition of baptism to mean even if you're not christian everyone can just access baptism it's fine right it would be an attack on our faith right but as christians we don't um i'm not against the union of two people who want to be together and like they want to choose that path for themselves that's their life they have the freedom to choose that right 
What I am against is the redefinition or the redefining of a Christian term. Right? Why? Because it's a biblical term. It's sacred to me as a Christian. Right? Um, that's problematic to me, but I agree with you on that. Yes? I wonder if it's because, like, that role within a married relationship is, like, taken lightly. Hmm. Like, that responsibility is just, like, they're like, oh, like, I don't know, maybe it'll go as far as, like, saying, like, oh, it's arguable. So because that's, like, not taken seriously, like, the concept of marriage is just nothing more than a status. Because it's become traditional, right? Yeah. It's a tradition in cultures. It's a tradition in society. It's a rite of passage, right, of most mm -hmm. human life throughout eras. Mm -hmm. um, but it's mainly because Judeo-Christian practices have been the dominant practice and the value system of the Western world for so long, right? So... And it goes as far as this now is if if uh, let's say you know a non-religious person or persons want to get married, but they want to get married in the church and be and like be authorized by a pastor, so to speak, it's like we're obligated to provide that service for them, right? Like it's weird that the government, after we separated state and church the government continues to authorize and monetize off of marriages, which is clearly a religious practice. It's, it's really weird, like, if anything, right? Um, so as Christians, we need to have a very biblical view on marriage. We need to maintain that understanding of marriage. And whatever happens around us, it will happen. Like, we can't change that. You know, I mean, we can fight it all we want, but it is what it is. But as within the church... We should continue to maintain uh, the biblical definition, practice, and continued um, like appropriation of, of what marriage is supposed to be. Any other comments or thoughts on marriage? As some of us are maybe closer to the marital line in our lives, what are some thoughts, if any? When you were dating, have you talked to your partners about these things? Consider some of these things. <laughs> well, I mean, I think marriage um, nowadays, um, it's not just about faith and coming together as one. It's also a lot about responsibility. Mm -hmm. So for men, as the head of the household, um, there's, I think there's a greater sense of responsibility mm -hmm. uh, to be able to at least provide for themselves and the possibility of expanding the family. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I don't know, obviously I don't speak for anyone but myself, but yeah. I think it's like when one thinks about marriage, it's kind of different from dating because then you're actually forming a family on your own. Mm -hmm. um, and that's quite a hurdle to get past. Mm -hmm. um, and like financially and in a, a lot of other senses. Absolutely, yeah. Like, again, like the direction of where marriage is at right now and what sort of purpose we put behind it as well as the meaning and the desire for it, it's fueled by motivation that is completely different from what we see in scripture, right? Like, for example, today, if you ask most people, like, why do you want to get married? It's like, oh, I want to meet someone who loves me, and I love them, and I don't have, like, this, like, fairy tale ending to my life. Um, but in scripture, it's, a lot of it is, like, pretty, if you read the Old Testament, it's like, you can clearly tell these people are, there are moments where you see, like, they're just, like, super attracted to this person, and they want to get married. There is that. But almost all of those instances in scripture, there is some kind of sin involved, right? Like it's showing you like the lust of the man's heart or something like that, right? But all of sort of like in scripture, the motivation behind marriage is really behind 
is being parents, becoming parents. It's about establishing a family and growing a family. That's why when we look at like our grandparents and great-grandparents and older generations, their entire focus was on like continuing legacy, continuing family, growing family. Um, the first command to mankind is be fruitful and multiply. That's the blessing in marriage, right? But nowadays, the blessing in marriage is personal happiness. That's why so many couples now get married in Korea and don't have children. Because it's just not the purpose of marriage anymore. The purpose of marriage is just me being happy, me having what I want. And if I have a kid, it'll ruin my career. If I'm a woman, for example, like I have to take all this time off and my body can't handle it and all these things. And if I have another kid and another kid, that's like three, four years off, plus all the years I have to watch them grow up. And this like butthole guy gets to go to work and have fun with his friends and come home and I'm just like exhausted. Like all of these things, right? Like people don't want to do this anymore, right? Like that aspect of marriage is becoming less and less desired, right? Uh, but in scripture, the motivation of all those things is, hey, this is a person who can be the mother to my children. Hey, this is a person who can be the father to my children. And that is what attracts them, right? But most of the time we're looking for, okay, can I physically be attracted to this person for the rest of my life, right? Yes. <clears throat> Question. So is it <clears throat> unbiblical for like Christian people to get married and to not have to choose not to have kids? Um, I won't go as far to say that it is sinful, like the action itself. I fear the motivation, right? Because what is, if I were to ask you, like, not I'm sh I'm assuming it's not your position, but if it was the position of let's say a Christian couple. What would be the reason that they would valid, like choose to do that? I don't know, like just for the things that you said, because like, it's true. A lot of then it's like, like just don't want, like, yeah, <clears throat> to sacrifice like that much. Like they just want yeah. to focus on like their own. So I would say don't get married. Just live together, right? Because I don't think you're trying to uphold God in your marriage anyway. Right? But that isn't that also a sin. Yeah, so I just, I don't think... You say, like, go one way or the yeah, other. I'm like, yeah. like if, you're, if you're not going to, like, do that, like, don't, don't mess up what marriage is supposed to be, right? Um, but I'm assuming this, this couple is not getting counseled on, on what marriage is, right? Um, so I do think it's wrong. Like, ultimately using marriage as a means for personal happiness is not only going to fail you, but I just don't think it's the biblical reason for a couple to get married right um it's a difficult conversation to have with someone obviously uh but usually it has something to do with like i want to keep my career going i want to like not have the stress of children and blah, blah 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 and as a human being i empathize with that right i could see why someone would not want to have children like from a human perspective um but from a biblical perspective i think that deviates from what the purpose of marriages. I have a question. So, let's say a, a Christian couple like is faithful to God's command of being fruitful and multiplying, despite like the fact that they want to, you know, okay. like not have kids. Okay. So they have kids. Okay. Okay. And then they're like two like faithful Christians. Yeah. But then they're like they're just giving kid like birth to kids who are like not Christian. Okay. Right. What? Okay. So like the kids are not like believers. Okay. So my thinking is like... <laughs> You're increasing the level of unchristian people in the world? Yeah, like why would I risk? There's oh, no. always a risk. You can't control whether your yeah. kids are Christian or not. That's you can like control not. whether you have kids or not. So yeah, why would I produce kids, kids that are like going to hold at home? Are you really... From a Christian perspective, you should want and desire to have kids and raise them up in a godly yeah. manner. No, so you could desire all that, but sometimes yeah. it doesn't work out like that. Yeah, and that's part, part of that's it. The that's part of it. That's part of the risk of having children. We see that in scripture. So wouldn't one be king better? Like, that you, man. Yeah, wouldn't it be better to not have kids that are like not going to help? They don't exist, or have kids that put, might potentially. But the opposite. Yeah. But the opposite. What if is, you know, let's just. I'm not going to put a num statistical percentage on it, but the opposite. What if is a potential reality too? What if you have kids and they're better Christians than you? <laughs> They're like teaching you. They save you in the end. <laughs> they like sanctify you. <laughs> like if anything, it could be like a means of grace to your life. <laughs> right? 
That's possible too. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, like, your that's being obedient and letting God kind of... Yeah, you can't control that. Yeah. No, because like I was such a like a big heartache to my mom. So like if I'm any if my kids are like anything like me, like it's well they will be something like you. It's GG, bro. Like I don't want like another me like running around. Yeah, but like in the world, process bro. of having children, <laughs> you are half of that equation. You know what? I'm actually more open to that. So why can I adopt? You can adopt. That's like having kids, right? That is like having kids. Yes. But not you biologically. I just don't want like my biological offspring like more. <laughs> <in the world. laughs> don't you want Huh? <laughs> I want to adopt like kids. Do you want kids. to halt the reproduction of your DNA? Yeah, because my brother <laughs> is having kids, so he like it'll live through him. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'll just adopt kids, like me and my wife. Okay. Okay. But like nature versus nurture. Even though you, they're not related biologically, they could still be a lot like. He still hates the adopted. Mikey's adopted. Keep coming. What's up, boys? I actually think it's weird if my future wife doesn't want to adopt kids. Why do you think it's weird? Why is that? Weird? That's not on you. Because you should be loving. No, but what if she? <laughs> what if she? What if she doesn't want to hurt? An adopted kid's life by bringing them into your life. <laughs> then she has life after. Huh? <laughs> Sounds like you got life. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I actually don't know. Dude, I'm pretty sure whoever marries you is already taking a step of faith in marrying you. So I'm sure she's willing to adopt a kid. That's probably like the least of her worries. But like, why is it bad to not have kids though? I think Motivation. it's not to say, okay, this is the wrong way to look at it. Not having kids is a sin. I don't think we should focus on that. That's not the primary principle of it. The motivation behind it is personal, selfish ambition. What if you want getting be... in the way of marital, like intended marital design? What if you want? Oh, true. Right. Because I was like, what if you want to do ministry? If you, this is what I tell. Don't get married, no, so right? what I tell. So okay. Some of my friends who are in their late twenties and early thirties, women who are single, they're like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to. I want to get married, but I don't want to have kids. Is that okay, Master? I said, just don't get married. Right. right okay. Right. Just be single. Right. If your career is so important to you, just stay non-married. Just yeah. stay non-married. True. Right. That's my opinion. And pursue your career and do it like to the best of your ability and. The rest of your life, do your thing and be a career woman. Like that's great. Like that's do your thing. Any other comments, thoughts before we conclude? Corey? What? I don't know. You have a thinking face. My face always looks like this. Yeah. Nice. Like thinking. Any thoughts, comments? I agree with everything. <laughs> okay. I think uh, that was a good question that uh, Jennifer asked past because uh, it seems like a lot of people are getting married later nowadays yeah uh, compared to before at least like at least in our parents generation and then when you know in in the bible right people were getting married when they're freaking like teenagers right so it's kind of like the 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 age for getting married is like doubled now right so um definitely there are concerns uh, with the Part of motivation to get married in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, at least for me, it's like um, there are days where I just want to get married just to kind of this is really bad, but like to kind of like just get it over with. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's not the right heart. Um, but failing to recognize that marriage is ultimately about like God's glory, right? In reflection of Christ loving the church. And uh, rather than you know, me just loving this woman to the best of my ability and doing whatever for her and vice versa. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think it's becoming, the meaning of marriage is just becoming diluted nowadays, you know, um, and it's very concerning and it's seeping into the church. And um, a lot of us are tempted or like buying into that, right? Of like what the world defines marriage is. Um, we... Or at least me. Uh, some, oftentimes I forget like what the purpose purpose of marriage itself is for, right? <laughs> and so, because of that, it creates anxiety, and then, you know, it makes me want to um, prolong, you know, marriage and 
dating like personally for me like i don't want to date for that long mm. i know i've been in this relationship for like 10 months um, so i can see why uh, certain people they get married um sooner than later and not in like a compulsive way where it's like oh you know what just get married and then all of my temptations will just be diminished that's not right at all either but i think for someone like you know like dp or like david ryu they kind of like understand right they're obviously human nature but also um you know dating there's so many like dangers right into like dating for a long period of time right like five years plus whatever um not saying that it's particularly wrong but um there are a lot of dangers that come within dating for an extended period of time sometimes i feel like i want the dating more than the marriage you know what i mean yeah. like i just want to date no, more absolutely. than being married right and for i know sure. that's wrong um because dating is not even biblical to begin with but it's just something that our culture has you know normalized right and so yeah i think it, at the end of the day it's really important to be reminded of uh Ephesians 5 and just like the Word of God itself in times like this to discern um, and to be wise about it. Absolutely. As a closing note, um, I think the one extraordinary thing we see in Scripture in regards to marriage, as well as if you look at uh, Paul's defense of complementarianism, which is another area of male role and female role, in, this, in another case, social context and, and, and church polity, um, he grounds it in creative order, right? So this, this, I think, destroys the argument of context, right? People will say, oh, like Paul, he's only saying this because in context, that's what was important to the Ephesians at the time, and he's just addressing a very contextual issue, right? And to that, I would say, that would be a valid argument if Paul maintained the argument within the context, but he clearly goes and, ad and adheres it to, theologically, grounds it in creative order. And if he does so, that predates sin. That means the good world <laughs> that we were once in, um, this was the way that Paul uh, interprets the text and sees it in, in, in the text, uh, the way that things are, ought to be, right? So that should be our pursuit as Christians. And although it's difficult, it's countercultural, it's clearly, you know, counter to my desire, counter to what we would prefer, right, as people, um, it's what the Bible teaches us uh, to pursue. So I hope um, we can, you know, navigate these things together. And I hope to one day be at all of your weddings and marriages and bless you in those times. Um, maybe not this guy, but the rest of you guys. I don't know what you're married. I might be there to object. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you're going to appreciate it. You're going to appreciate it. Dragon Slayer 621 or whatever you are. Um... Anyways, um, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being here this time. Difficult lessons, um, but important ones. We pray, Lord Father, that what we've learned would be um, of assistance to our heart and mind faith journey. We pray, Lord Father, for each of us in pursuit of uh, marriage, if we are, um, that it would be a holy pursuit, a godly one, motivated um, by our desire to bring glory to you. All this pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're free for the day. Oh, yeah, you're right.